Shalom, this is Rabbi Ilan Adler, Rabbi of the Moses Montefiorant Shiamuna Congregation in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, this is part two of Adon Olam. Being that Adon Olam is one of the most famous tefillot that we have, do we know who wrote it? Some say it could be Rav Shri Ragon, or perhaps Rav Haigon, while many suggest it was the 11th century Paitan, Rabbi Solomon Ibn Gavirol of Spain. Why Ibn Gavirol? Because in his famous philosophical poem, Keter Malchut, he uses phraseology and language curiously similar to that of Adon Alam. What are some features that we notice about the composition of this tefillah? Well, we see that there are ten lines, perhaps intended by the author to invoke and mirror the importance of the Aseret Hadibrot, the Ten Commandments. Indeed, Adon Alam, like the Ten Commandments, has become an intense statement of faith and commitment for each and every Jew. We also see that the tefillah begins with an aleph and ends with an aleph. Interestingly, the Ten Commandments also begin with an aleph. The first half of each line is called the delet, or the door, while the second half is called the soger, or the closing, suggesting that each of the ten lines is almost a self-contained, powerful message about Hashem and how we see and understand Him. Line 1 tells us that the eternal Hashem reigned even before anything was created, reinforced by line 2, teaching that each creation, as it was made, proclaimed Him the Melech, the King. Whatever we do in our daily routine, every deed and word, no matter how trivial in the service of God, is like a trumpet to the Almighty, a coronation of his continued reign. Line 3 says that even were everything to disappear, Hashem would remain king, while line 4 employs the Hebrew words for was, is, and he shall be, which combined form the well-known four-letter word for Hashem, the Yud, the He, the Vav, and the He. It is this idea that God is eternal, always was, is and will be. It is this idea that we think of when we close our eyes for the Shema. Lines 5 and 6 invoke images that are some of the hardest for us to understand. That Hashem is peerless and without comparison is not hard to understand. But He has no beginning and no end. Everything in this world starts and stops somewhere. Things are born and things die. But endless? That's something to work on. Lines 7 and 8, as we said during the first part of explaining Adon Alam, now begin the very personal aspects of Hashem as our God and our Redeemer. He is where we can bring our pain and our disappointments, our shortcomings and our failings. We can be honest and open with Hashem. He understands that we're human. He has a cup for every kind of tear we shed. He is our lighthouse when darkness threatens to envelop. He is there to be found, even as much as he loves to be found. Line 9 speaks of our relinquishing our everyday needs totally into the hands of God as we entrust our spirit to him. The Midrash Socher Tob explains that in this world, when we've been given something or have purchased something new, if we bring it back used or worn, 
we will not get a refund. However, with Hashem, it's very different. For each and every day, we hand Him back our spirit and our soul, which is soiled at the end of the day. And yet, He not only accepts it and takes it, but He also gives us a fresh one for the next day. The tenth and final line expresses our hope that as long as our soul is within our body, nothing can make us afraid. When God is in me, I get courage and strength to face any challenge, any obstacle. And I know that in my darkest hours, I am never alone. So what began in the beginning of Adon Olam as a belief in a God out there concludes with an affirmation of a personal God in here, within me, a shelter, a refuge, a light, and a shield. After having a clearer sense of the intent and meaning of Adon Olam, it's hard to relegate only for the end of our Shabbat davening. Placing it at the beginning of our morning prayers and reciting it now makes a lot more sense. Shalom.